Hey, everybody. Welcome to Crew Call 3-14. This is being recorded in uh, August of 2022, since the, uh, the volume numbers no longer have any real relationship to when they're actually happening. And um, talking with an old buddy of mine, Lance Minheim. Uh, he, he's uh, got chops for the uh, one of the most interesting men kind of categories. So um, we're going we're gonna to explore uh, a lot of things with Lance tonight. I think uh, he's a name that's well known in model railroading, but for uh, anybody who is not familiar with Lance, you will be by the time we're done. So, hey, Lance, how's it going? Nice to talk to you again, Mike. It's been a full 24 hours. <laughs> Probably a couple more than that, but I'm not going to admit <laughs> that. <laughs> Lance has been kind enough to, uh, to, to help me out with some uh, photo uh, issues, and we're going to get into that in some detail because I think... Uh, I think one of the things that Lance is, is really known for doing some groundbreaking stuff on is using uh, photographs, uh, not just for backdrops on a model railroad, but also for uh, actual pieces and, and portions of a layout. So we'll get into that in, in some detail. Um, I, was, I was thinking earlier, Lance, I mean, we must know each other. I guess we go pretty far back. I think I probably met you in Cocoa Beach. Does that make sense? I think it does. I think I knew you um, prior to that, but the, and it's kind of a funny story. The one thing I remember is uh, my son, Zach, used to like going on these trips with me. Sure. So we, uh, we land in Orlando, we get in the rental car and just at random, we're driving down the road. He's always hungry, always was, it still is. <laughs> and so we see this like uh, Shake Shack or something and he goes, Hey, can we pull in there? And just totally randomly, we pull into the Shake Shack, we walk in, and there's Mike Rose. And no, I don't, no do you kidding. remember that? I mean, now that you mention it, I, I remember that, but I never would have thought of that again. It, it sounds <laughs> like me. I, I'm known for getting off a plane and, and heading to the nearest really good fast food place that I don't have near me, you know? So when I used to land in Ontario, California, when I was rail fanning, get the rental car, make a beeline for in and out It was the first thing that I did. And I did it like religiously every time. It was just such an odd coincidence. And it, it was fun. I just remember we talked for like an hour or so. And then uh, I so vividly remember your um, your seminar. I, I don't know if it was a U-boat or something that you took. There was a lot of scratch building. I was just amazed. That was the U-18. It, yeah. Yep. And just kind of the my introduction to uh, adhesive accelerants and... Uh, it just struck me it you know just really impressed me just the level of care so i mean that's but that, i think that, i that goes i knew of back, you doesn't it jeez that's got to be 15 or more years maybe yeah and i think i might have known you before that but i just remember running into you in the restaurant with zach right there was a there was a period of time where uh, I, I went to pretty much all the train meets most of the time uh, and, um, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if I had met you at one of the other ones. I just seemed like we were always having dinner done, done in Cocoa beach. Cause that was a, a major sport down there. Yep. So you are, yeah, I, I kind of labeled you as one of those, uh, most interesting, uh, men kind of, kind of guys, because you have a very broad, uh, set. I think in, in model railroading. Uh, maybe maybe unusually so, but I think it it's um, it stems in part from uh, your business. Now you're you're a pro in in model railroading in that you do custom uh, model railroads, and um, 
was that always your main squeeze or is that just something that it evolved into? It's something that um, I evolved into. And, you know, people always ask me, you know, is that job as great as you would think it is? And I would say most days it actually is not every day, but most days it is. But mm -hmm. um, I mean, to give you the kind of the boring history, I had no idea what the heck I wanted to do out of college. So I got an engineering degree thinking that, you know, at least I'd have a job. Right. And I did, but, you know, four or five years into that, I found out that like Mike Rose, I'm just really not the employee type. <laughs> <laughs> we have that in, in common. And uh, they say uh, all self-employed people have one thing in common. They don't like other people telling them what to do. Exactly. Which is, which exactly. Problematic. They're, usually, they're usually wrong. So why would you like this? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I did the engineering for four or five years and I really learned a lot that I use in my present business, but um, I really wanted to be self-employed. I spent a lot of time looking at construction businesses um, and I came to conclusion rightfully so that they were just too darn risky. I mean, the capital involved uh, was enormous. Um, and I just had to say, no, that's not, not for me. And, but while I was with the construction company, you know, a lot of my buddies were really into personal investing and they were very good. They were not these trick of the month guys. I mean, they really knew the basics mm -hmm. and kind of took me under their wing and taught me a lot. And, you know, I developed an interest in doing that personally. So um, I said, well, if I'm self-employed in uh, financial services, you know, you still have to make your income, but you're not on a hook like you would be where you have to go out and buy a $80,000 backhoe just to get started. Sure. Um, plus, plus deal with uh, teams of employees and, and insurance and all of that. Absolutely. So, uh, so I just walked away from construction. I was in financial services for 17 years, which is a very difficult business, but uh, I learned how to sell. Mm -hmm. And the training was excellent in terms of they really spent a lot of time in terms of dealing with people, which is the most valuable skill. And I was pretty young at the time, and my clients were closely held business owners. Mm -hmm. And I think because of the age disparity where they were so much older and I was the age of their kids, <laughs> they spent a lot of time uh, just teaching me how business really works. Sure. That, that was my business degree. I mean, I'm still eternally grateful for these guys to these guys, but um, the industry was changing with deregulation. Um, you know, everybody could sell everything. Mm -hmm. um, the competition was getting up there and I was getting burned out. So at the 17 year mark, they uh, give you the option. It's not essentially to retire. It's not a lot you can live on, but they will kind of buy your business out and, you know, give you a decent income for about 10 or 15 years. So I started thinking about what I wanted to do. I was looking at. Wait, excuse me. Were you already a model railroader at that point? Yeah, I've been since I was 16. Okay. Yep. So we go back with similar, similar origins. Okay. So maybe even 15, but it was just a hobby. And so I started looking at model railroad businesses and my background yeah, I think I went into it with my eyes wide open that you have to run it like a business. You have to price things accordingly. You can't just be a doofus running it like a hobby if you're going to make a living. And I ran the numbers. You know, I was looking at detail parts, 
and the numbers just didn't work. Um, you know the cliche they say uh, the way to make a little money in uh, model railroading is to put a lot of money into it. And same thing with boating and car racing. I've heard. <laughs> right, right. And then uh, just so it was quite a while, a couple of years. I was mulling it over, looking at different model railroad businesses, getting nothing really struck me as viable. And then there was an article in model railroad or about these custom builders. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, that's it. Um, because the dollars are large enough. Um, yeah. I said, I can do this. And so I started the custom layout business two years before wrapping up the financial services, just to make sure um, that I could make it. And for, for, for any kind of business, one of the things you, you, you try to do is you try to assess how big is this potential market? How did you do that? Probably not very well. I was fortunate. Um, so you're an optimist. I had a good mentor. Um, I don't know if you ever met Ross Allen at Cocoa Beach. He goes oh, way yeah, back. I, know Ross. I, I knew Ross uh, quite well. He was a... Uh, a heck of a guy and, and uh, actually helped me immensely with certain things. And so I saw his ad <laughs> talk about being naive. Um, I contacted him. He was a custom builder. And I started asking him these questions mm-hmm. and uh, he goes, who the hell are you? What do you want? Why are you asking me these questions? And uh, so I said, okay. So I just flat out told him. I'd like to be your competitor. <laughs> and he goes, Okay, that's fine. I'll help you however I can. I mean, that's the way he was. Sure. But I think he was also getting close to wrapping it up. And he was thinking about people to um, pass things. Yeah. Right. And so I owe everything to Ross. I mean, he taught me so much. I was thinking of going, you know, doing pre-built layouts. He said, those will never sell, mm-hmm. which he was right. I was thinking of small layouts. He said, you'll go bankrupt. He was right. Hmm. Um so he really took me under his uh, wing and kept me from, he saved me from myself. That's um, very interesting because obviously I know you and I know Ross and I didn't realize there was that connection between you two. Yeah. So he and I got to be really good friends and he actually, you know, he was in the area. He and Gail came over mm-hmm. and um, one day we were having dinner. It's just like, you know, and you, you will be able to relate to this based on our previous um, difficult conversation and you'll know where I'm going with this. Just a normal night having dinner the phone rings is Gail and said, Hey Gail, how's you, how you doing? She goes, not so good. Ross just died. Mm, yep. I mean, he just, she went in the room and he had passed from a heart attack. Sudden so. thing. I, I don't even really know how old he was. He, he didn't change a bit in the entire time I knew him. I'm guessing late, mid to late sixties. Right. Not when you'd expect that to happen. And he and I were in a friendly competition for a large project. He won. Um, and then his uh, wife, Gail, said, you know, I am so burned out on this business. Just take it. And um, hmm. so that got me to a, you know, off to a, I had had a couple under my belt, but that was a big one. So mm-hmm. Gail just said, you know, I want, I'm going to wash my hands of all this. And so then I took that project. Um which is kind of a meandering way of saying that um, without Ross's help, I'm not sure I would have done as well, but I mean, he was, he had so much insight and <laughs> I, I'm going to allow, I'm sure you have an editor on this, but I will try to uh, 
edit some of the comments for we don't here. do any editing so we are, <laughs> so. We are self-editing here just keep it g-rated keep it what rated g-rated okay all right <laughs> <laughs> that, that limits me in this limits me with this conversation but one time he sat me down and he goes and this is so true he goes, Lance, I want to explain a concept to you. It's the concept of the general public. Oh, boy. And he goes, you know, when you are out in life, you pick your friends based on, you know, their character and them being normal, lucid, intelligent human beings. But there's a tendency to think that everybody's like that. Right. It's a and birds of feather thing. That's all you, all you associate with. It's all you know. Right. Are the normal people. But he goes, let me... Uh, introduce you to the concept of the general public, because when you get out there in the business world, this is who you're going to be interacting with. And this is where I have to severely edit uh, <laughs> my comments. But he said, the average person you are going to uh, run into is an absolute moron. Mm -hmm. And you need to learn quickly, you know, to separate, you know, the high character customers from the idiots. I mean, this is Ross. Sure. Um, but that's business 101. I mean, that's not shelf layouts. That's Business. business 101. Yep. And so, um, and some of that I already knew from my previous business. I mean, we had been trained in terms of, um, you know, prospecting and things like that. So to answer your question, um, that's kind of how I, I got to start. I had some luck going in and then, you know, some previous experience and it was pretty beaten up and battle hardened from financial services. And then, you know, Ross's guidance kind of Gave me a wobbly but successful start, I would say. So I'm trying to understand how the how the process works. Let the, I, I assume that um, X amount of uh, business is a referral, and that that's self explanatory. X amount of it comes in probably from your website, I would guess. Um, are there other avenues besides those two? Mostly, it comes. It doesn't really work like that, Mike. Most of it is name recognition through. Um, the articles I write sometimes okay. I've gotten some business from open houses at my house, but I don't want somebody that just goes on Google and doesn't know me from Adam. I want somebody that wants me that knows who I am and specifically wants me personally to do their project. Mm -hmm. I, if a person says I'm, I'm taking bids or estimates, then I just say, have fun. I'll see you. Right. right. I won't even get into it with them. So no, I, think, I think that's smart. So when somebody contacts you and says, you know, I, I, I would like to have a layout and I'd like you to build it. What's the what's the interrogatory that follows that? Like, how do you establish uh, how do you draw out the the vision that, that the customer has, if any? Um, and how do you end up deciding what you're going to build for this customer? I mean, a lot of it's just communication. I have, a, you know, I have a standard form um, to go through. But the first step is. You have to, um, and, and, you know, you and I are both in our 60s, and we've been self-employed most of our careers, so you learn how to kind of get a general sense for people, but sure. um, the first question I ask is, you know, what's your budget? Because these are odd beasts. Nobody, sure. it's not like going into Best Buy, and you know, a refrigerator is going to be, you know, one or 2,000, and a lot of people will come in, um, you know, totally innocently thinking that a project that's going to take you a year working full time is going to be three or four thousand dollars when mm -hmm. it would be well over a hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. So, the first thing I ask them is, What's your budget? 
um, you know, I try to get a sense for what they have in mind for the project. I'm generally, to the extent that I can, it depends how hungry I am. When business is good, I prefer to work more on proto freelance or prototype projects. Um, I generally avoid the more casual recreational projects, you know, the coal, coal mine, port, Ferris wheel type, mm-hmm. um, which is the biggest market. So I do limit myself by not doing those. Is it really interesting? I, I mean, I would think somebody that's seeking you out based on your reputation would almost automatically be in that, in that sort of proto realm. You would think so, but it's not the case. So you, you kind of have to qualify them. And you and I had talked about this a while back. It is a risk if it's not the kind of situation where um, it's not like a grocery store where you have customers lined up at the counter. There's not that many. Mm-hmm. And it's. But you have long term engagements typically like like what's the least amount of time you you have spent on a project in the most? What's the range? Three to four months is short little over two years was the longest. Two years. Wow. That and was, when you're, when you're working on these projects, um, what's a work day look like for Lance Minheim? Are you an eight hour a day guy? Do you throw yourself into it and, and stop when you drop? Like how, how do you work? There's been some in- interesting articles on this and that I think in our culture, we're trained, you know, that you really need to work 12 or 13 hours. The reality is we're not particularly for creative work for your peak efficiency, you've only got four or five hours. Yeah. I was going to say six max. Exactly. And so um, what I will typically do is I'm an early riser. I go to, uh, you know, I don't stay up that late, get up five 30 or six. Not really that hungry. So I will do the work on the designs in the morning and I will have breakfast and then about eight 30, um, you know, I'll start on the construction and, and in total silence, work three or four hours on that, um, go to the gym. And then in the afternoon, I do what I call brain dead work. I mean, that's like ordering supplies, mm-hmm. um, things on the project that don't take that much concentration. Um, and usually by five, I've had enough. Although sometimes if it, you know, some of these projects people bring to me are really interesting. I hate to say it more interesting than some of my own. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes on a Sunday, if it's, if there's something that's really fun, it doesn't feel like work. I'll go work on their project just because it's more interesting than my project. But so, so what, what, uh, what translates to fun for you in these cases? Um, I would just say the theme in general. Um, the last one I did was, uh, for a business owner up in Portland, Maine, and he was doing modern era Guilford in Portland. I'd never heard of it. And he knew it to a T. I flew up there to meet him. We walked the line together. It was only half mile. And I mean, just everything about it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't even feel like I was working on that one. So that was, that was very enjoyable. Hmm. Now, when you're building a project like that for someone typically, um, are you supplying not only the layout, but also rolling stock and motive power and all of that too? No, I never, um, it's only the layout. Although one mm-hmm. thing that I've started doing, which really helps is I will say, you know, send me your favorite three or four locomotives. And I just want to tune the layout to those. Oh, interesting. Um, to make sure it works. 
Um, one problem you run into um, is there's a tendency, particularly with recreational hobbies, hobbyists, to purchase motive power based on the appearance. And you have good looking locomotives and you have great running locomotives and they're not always the same. Mm -hmm. And so not taking any manufacturers to task, but some of them really have great paint jobs and they barely run. Sure. And that can be a hard conversation. I mean, sometimes they don't want to hear it. And I can't tell you how many of those great looking locomotives have come through here and gone right out again, because we run trains here. I've got 140 something locomotives and all of them have to not only run well, but run well together. So um, for me, the, you know, the, the desire to mix and match in a prototypical fashion is, is paramount. If it doesn't run, it can't stay. And so I've been doing that. That makes me feel better. And then I know that it's not going to be a situation where I leave the layout and the customer says, oh, this stuff is constantly derailing. And I'm saying, yeah, Tycos do do that. So, <laughs> so when, you, when you're in the design phase of a project, obviously, depending upon the scope of the, of the project, it takes X amount of time. Is it linear? Like, is it always about 10% of the project, more or less? Or is it very greatly with the scope? The design? Yes. Um, no, it's pretty linear. And I tell them because, and you and I both know people like this, the uh, paralysis via analysis is that- Analysis paralysis, you bet. You quickly get to the point where spending more time isn't going to get you anywhere. So, so it's a design build process. Right. I give them on the design, I know roughly how long it takes to do a good job. And I give in the contract, it says, you know, typically I'll get, you get 12 hours of design time. And I will tell them that that should be more than enough. And if it goes over, um, we're not heading in the right direction. Right. Um, and you're going to have to pay me more or just take what you have and then all of a sudden they become very satisfied and said i'll take what you have <laughs> but so, no, most um, people most people are not like that but i would say you know typical design runs you know 1800 to 2000 dollars. most of them are half basement um i know how long it's going to take oh half basement that's interesting okay and sometimes they go a little bit more i've had a few larger ones large ones are not the half basement is the easiest when you have a unlimited amount of space there's no boundaries there's no defined scope and you can really drift mm -hmm. and i don't like those as much um but yeah that's the whole design build process is very similar to um that of an addition on your home and the costs are very similar too sure um, same issues I, we sit down i give them a rough idea of the cost before we get started and we do the design i give them a cost estimate um and then if usually it's not a surprise because they've given me the budget and then um, we do a contract, which is which I was a template I downloaded um, online. I had an attorney clean it up a little bit mm -hmm. from a built from a construction contractors um, website. Mm -hmm. So that's how it works. You know, it's interesting you mentioned uh, addition because I was just thinking about my addition project and uh, I had. I had budgeted, uh, you know, based on good faith estimates with, with a contractor that I'd worked with many times over the years. And I was very satisfied with his quality of work. Um, 
but like many projects, you know, once you get into it, you start seeing some opportunities to address this or to address, address that. And um, so it took a bit longer than I thought it would take and it cost about twice as much. And when I totaled it all at the end, I thought, wow, so that's what that cost. <laughs> and then I just said, okay, that's what that cost and moved on. <laughs> these are a little bit different though, Mike. Generally it's, I, it, they really almost always come in on time and on budget and I keep records so I know how long they're gonna take. And uh, if I'm ahead of schedule, then uh, I work on my layout a little bit. And if I'm behind schedule, I work on the weekends. But usually, there's not much of that going on. And my in engineering, my background was construction management and scheduling and contracts. So I already had a little bit of that going in. So you don't need a, an outside project manager. You're it. I'm it. Yep. And do you find, did you find that um, it took, you know, maybe a couple of years to really get good at the time slash cost estimating? No, it took me more than a couple of years to understand that was, a, that's pretty easy. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's not as many parts as with a home. And there's not as many surprises with a home because it's it's a standalone in your shop, whereas you know with a home construction it's a little bit different. So sure, sure. Um, I would say just just kind of the business flow in general, some of the marketing aspects, um, you know, who to deal with, who not to. That took longer to uh, get yeah. used to. You know, I had to learn the hard way that I will never do business with. I only do business with private individuals, never museums, never companies. Interesting. Um, and that's just a school of school of hard knocks. Yeah. Um, you obviously have a preferred um, methodology that you try to apply to each uh, project. So in terms of what you like to use for track and turnouts and, and, uh, you know, ballast and, and scenery techniques, you're using your preferred techniques regardless of the situation pretty much? Yep, that's pretty much. Although within my friend group and yourself and the people I know, I mean, we all have the same friends. And <laughs> True. We pretty much use the same technique. So I think if I showed you what I did, it would be, it's the same thing that when we go out to dinner at Cocoa Beach, we talk about it. It's, it's mm -hmm. all pretty much the same within our group of friends, I think. Yeah, every once in a while, you know, you run up uh, against some little thing that you haven't run into before. Not not lately, of course, because we're getting up there, like you said, but um, it's nice to sometimes, uh, you know, brainstorm it with a, with a peer and kind of figure out uh, an approach to handle this particular thing, you know. Um, I mean, I know, you know, Scott Mason, he and I have been sort of talking a little bit about my uh, my door, my freezer door situation that you and I were talking about uh, yesterday. And, and he kind of got my mind right because not only, he's a former custom layout builder too, as you probably remember. Um, and he's still, he's still building stuff. But uh, he's also, um, he's in, he's uh, his full-time gig, he's in warehouses all the time and sells forklifts and, and uh, pallet racking and things like that. So uh, with, a, with a specific warehouse question, he's kind of the right guy to talk to. Yeah, the one thing that, and you were asking about it, oh, I love talking to Scott. I haven't talked to him in a while, but um, I always enjoy it. But the one thing I learned is that 
with a lot of these projects, I'm viewing it from the perspective of Mike Rose being my customer. Um, but most of my customers are not. And I remember the day when I worked so hard and I explained to the customer, okay, this is the code 83, which is the main and code 70 um, as you transition down to the sidings. And I got cone 55 in this one spur and I got this blank, this blank look. And I said, <laughs> damn, I just wasted so much time on something he doesn't care about. You could have done it all in code 100. He wouldn't have cared less. Exactly. So that was... Uh, <laughs> an adjustment. And sometimes, you know, I'll do the detail work just be as a matter of personal pride. Sure. But um, I have to check myself sometimes and not just, you know, in real, it's not that I don't want to do a good job, but you're wasting time if it's not something the customer cares about. So I imagine you want to uh, personally examine the space and do your own measurements as step one before building, right? There are some very funny stories related to not doing that. <laughs> the, uh, so the, the, the short answer is yes, um, because the stakes are so uh, great if or if you get it wrong. Um, and all these customers, they're successful business owners and they're smart, um, but sometimes the tape measure is not something they gr they grasp. And sure. not um, everybody has an engineering background. So every project I now, I don't care where I fly out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, will, I want to disguise this person so that uh, in case he listens to this, but I met an individual, a one of the nicest people I've ever met, um, who was a physicist and on the West Coast. And his job had to do with infrared sensors related to satellites defending the U.S. So this, these sensors... Wow would detect a launch from China or Russia instantly to protect our country. That's how, that's his job. That's how smart he was. So brain power was not an issue. Right. And, uh, yeah, and he was not a nerd. I mean, you'd have a normal conversation and he was building a new house, uh, in a new townhouse and he sent me the plans. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking, okay, I've got the builder's drawings. This guy is IQ is like three times mine. Um, I, I, don't think it, I don't think I need to go out there. Right. And so I built the layout. I walk upstairs in this beautiful, newly finished uh, townhouse. And I was like, oh, then no, I'll blank, blank, blank. <laughs> uh, because in a lot of these, you have one floor plan and you have a mirror image of the same floor plan. Oh, boy. He had sent me the builder's drawing of the mirror image, not his actual plan. What do you do at a time like that? Well, first, when I when I woke up and the EMTs were over me. <laughs> Once you were able to stand up again. His pride and joy, it was 1940s. Uh, it, it was 1940s, uh, Southern Pacific, West Coast. Mm -hmm. And he had a he had a seaplane runway, which was his pride and joy. And I got totally sucked in. It was my pride and joy, too. He had, so we had this really long runway for the seaplanes mm -hmm. and that became much shorter. And I just said, all right, that's what we're going to do. Just get in your car. We're going to go to Home Depot. We need to buy a saw. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question. So when you go on site and maybe we should back up a little bit because you're obviously constructing it with a methodology that maybe you established it earlier or maybe it evolves over time, but it has to be produced in such a way 
that at least initially they're modules that fit in a truck or trailer of some kind, correct? Yeah, and that's a hard part of what I, that's one of the harder parts of the job is unlike a layout that you build for yourself, where you put the joints is important. You can't run them through a turnout. Right. Or you, and you really don't want them on a curve. And my son is losing interest in helping me install these. <laughs> so he, he thinks his girlfriend and his social life is more important than the person that gave birth to him. So anyway. Man's got to have priorities. <laughs> so now I've got, also got to make them light enough that I can lift them. Now, some customers like the one I just did are young guys. They're very excited and strong. And we just, we lift it up into the house themselves. But some are um, up there in years and I need to lift them myself. So you also have to make the modules small enough that I can lift them. So what would that translate into? Like how big a module is it easy for you to handle yourself? Um, maybe six or seven feet by two feet. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. No, but are you not, I would imagine you're not, um, you know, you're using a lot of foam construction, I imagine, right? That's true. But on a lot of these layouts, if I was building them on site, I would use only foam, you know, kind of the Bill Darnaby approach. And I've used it on my own layouts. But for because they're modules and you need the ends just to be strong, I always use plywood for the sub road bed and foam for the scenery. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, but the module itself is made of plywood also, I would guess. Yes. So you get on site and, and basically, so you're, are you building it a module at a time or do you build all the modules and, and temporarily screw them together and then build the layout on it? Like what's the process? It's the second. It's exactly what you just, the second thing. Okay. And so you build the modules, you build the layout over it. And when it's done, it looks, you can't see the modules. And then you unscrew them, pull them apart, and put them on the truck. Are you literally saw cutting uh, track at the at the joints at that stage? No, I use spanner sections, like four inch spanners. Okay, gotcha. Huh. And Very every job has something that keeps you awake at night. Like, obviously, if you're an air traffic controller, you have more at stake. But it's like, gosh, I measured that guy's house three times, and you always go, "What? What would happen?" if I was wrong. Right. <laughs> so then. And if it's okay. your measurements, it's on you, right? Yeah. That, but that's never happened. So they've, <laughs> I yeah. did have a fun, another one more funny story, but it's, uh, uh, this guy was local. So it was with an hour so I could drive out there and he's passed away. So I shouldn't speak ill of the dead, but it was a simple L shaped layout. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did the design. And after the design, he said he wanted me to build it. And so um, I go out to his house. I go in the basement. And it was just, according to the design, it was going to be like an 11 by 11 L. And I look at this wall. And I said, I don't think that wall is 11. Can I borrow your tape measure? <laughs> and I said, it's only seven and a half. And he goes, that's a well, big difference. He goes, does that matter? I said, hell yes, it matters. <laughs> Well, you could put a hinge, I guess, and have it go up the wall on one end. So. Uh, <laughs> Does that matter? Yeah, I think it matters. I, I would concur. Um, you you will work in any scale? No. Just N and N and HO. If I, I don't do three rail, I don't do G. Um, if I had two rail O, I would look at it. Um, mm-hmm. 
I did a module for mutual friend of ours, but it was more of a diorama, but the O scale market's very small. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, N scale market's pretty, at least for what I do is probably 40, 45% of them. I believe it because a lot of people are space constrained and it's a way to get twice the layout into the same space. Yeah. So you've got your modules. Now, do you have your own dedicated vehicle for transporting these things? No, I use Hertz Penske. Okay. Um, they're a little bit more, but my gosh, it's worth this, the stress. They are so low stress. Um, you know, you get at the Home Depot, they call you the day before. There's no, you know, with some of these cheap outfits, it's like, well, we know you paid for the truck, but we don't have it. What are you going to do? <laughs> Hertz Penske. This sounds uh, like a Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, they're total pros. They call you the day before. Do you need anything? I call them up on the last one, I said, you know, fuel prices are double than when I bid this job. And they said, well, we'll, we'll give you a discount. And then wow. um, they gave me a truck with 6,000 miles. Um, so I did only deal with them. Now, um, are the, I imagine you have to do some kind of custom racking for these modules, right? Yeah. And I've developed that. Uh, oh, one thing I wanted to say on the truck is when they get over you know, a 1, thousand, 1500 miles away, I use the pod system and the pods containers are the same size as the box truck. So, okay. um, but to answer your question, I just run, you know, a shelf system, um, on two by threes and there's, you want some bounce. You don't want it to be super stiff. And hmm. I've had, I've had zero damage on that. Interesting. But, but you literally will assemble a, a racking system in each vehicle that you do a layout for. Right. But there's rails on the truck. So you take the two by threes and you just lay them on the rails and zip tie them in place and then zip tie the modules on top. And then it just bounces oh. up and down the road. I see. So it's not like you're, you know, I'm picturing my son with his kayak business where he's got all of this vertical racking and they're all stacked up you know, floor to ceiling, yours are, yours are pretty much just suspended on two by threes across the width of the truck. Yep. Interesting. Have you ever had them layouts too big for a truck? No. And that's the other thing too, Mike, um, choosing your customers. Mm -hmm. There are people out there that have so much money. It means nothing to them. And they like the idea of model railroading but they are at the point where they're late sixties or seventies and they have not even so much as put a coupler on a freight car. Right. And they want this layout that is going to be, you know, 80, you know, five, six, 7,000 square feet. Jeez. They have no, they don't understand. It's hard to communicate to them the concept of maintenance. Right. They don't have the skills to run it. It's just an accident waiting to happen. And, I don't want to be doing one project for five or six years. So, right. Well, you said just, you had a two-year project. That sounds pretty uh, significant was, there. Yeah, but that was close. So the nice thing is I could take it. It was up in um, Philadelphia, which is only okay. two hours. So I could drive the pieces up. Sure. Um, so that was a little bit easier. But the huge ones, I just refer them out to the big houses that have employees. And I don't. So to answer you, it's a long way of saying they would never be that big because I would not take on, I'm not the person for those jobs. There's other guys that can do that. So you are a boutique custom layout builder. Well, I just like to keep them 
you know, 20 by 40 foot room is enough for me. Sure. Um, anything, they start getting bigger than that. And, you know, I do have to assess how, what the experience level is of the customer and large layout, no experience is not a good. Right. Right. It's a bad fit. Um, it, not, not to get into any specifics, but you know, on, on a typical scale, what's the low end cost versus the high end cost in your business? That's something I've changed with time. There's economies of scale and I really don't like to go below 30,000 mm -hmm. because it takes a certain amount just to get ramped up. And you know, some of these guys do 700,000 million dollar projects. I don't do the big ones. Um, so I would say 250 to 300,000 is usually the upper end. Mm -hmm. So it gives you kind of a range and they're spread pretty evenly, um, you know, across that range. But if somebody, you know, people don't know, I'll get a call from somebody on the West coast. I'm in DC, somebody in the West coast that says I have this $1,500 project. Will you build it for me? It's like, you know, that won't cover the materials. It won't even cover the transportation. So right, right. I can't do it. So if, if you had to hazard a guess, how many layouts do you think you've built? I would have to go back and look, Mike. I mean, some sometimes I'll have a year where I get a lot of mid-sized ones, like four mm -hmm. months. So I will do two, two and a half a year. Mm -hmm. And then last year, I had a full year project. Um so sometimes it, How long know, did I, I do anywhere from one, one, to, one to three a year, I guess would be an average, but it really is all, it just depends on who calls. Yep. How long did this most recent one take? The main one you mentioned? Five months. Five months. That's a, that's a good, that's like a good size and in, in, in amount of time, isn't it? And he gave me the budget and I said, for your budget, I can, I, I'll bust my butt for, for five months on this for you. And I think I can give you everything you want in those five months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through experience, I knew I could, and it, it came in at the five months and um, so it all worked out. And you, I'm impressed that, and you've been doing this for how many years would you say at this point? I mean, I think it's 22. Right. So that's a lot of model railroading and, um, and no burnout. I think you and I are just, and all of our friends, there's something wrong with us. <laughs> We're not normal. <laughs> I just, Mike, I just never get tired of it. Yeah. I just don't. I mean, I can. And the other thing is that a lot of these customers, they have these fascinating projects that I would never think of. Hmm. Um, so it's intellectually some, stimulating. Yeah. And so you learn stuff and sometimes you have to learn new techniques. I did a Northeast corridor, which going in, I thought, you know, under the wire Amtrak, not that interesting. It was fascinating. So and you so, do working catenary? No. Oh, okay. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, I can work on this all week. And, you know, sometimes if I have something on my home layout that dovetails, like if I'm painting 10 items and I need three for myself, I'll roll them in there. So it makes me a better custom builder to do it as a hobby. And it improves my hobby skills just because um, you're a pro. You, yeah, you get more practice. So, um, oh gosh, what was my question? I just blanked. Uh, and it was going to be a good one too. Oh, your layout. <laughs> now you've had more than one layout, right? Yep. Like I think, like I remember you had your sort of 
Florida-based layout. Is that the layout you currently have, or is that long gone? Well, I've had a couple. Um, you know, starting out, I had uh, a small Monon-based layout in an apartment. Um, it was in Model Railroader. It was not that great. Um, then we, we bought our house. And I hear Monon, I think, months with her. Who's a buddy of mine. Yep. He's a, and then, he's a great uh, guy. Yep. I haven't seen him in a long time. I just saw him at Cocoa Beach. The uh, uh, We moved into the present house and I was, uh, I think it was Scott Seekins and the Reed brothers. Um, and then there was a Santa Fe guy who passed away, David Haynes. And I was just amazed by the quality of the work in N-Scale. So um, like an idiot, I thought, wow, I can get a lot more uh, layout in an N-Scale. And I had no recollection that a 20 by 20 N scale layout is the same size as a 40 by it's four times as big as an HO one. It's twice the length. <laughs> so it was very successful visually. I still love the way it looked, but that, that darn thing ate me alive. It was just too darn big. Mm. And uh, the it was modeled after an area in my hometown. As all the rails were abandoned, I kind of lost interest that you know none of it was there anymore. Mm. And uh, about the time I met you, I guess, I'd always been interested in doing something Florida industrial. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at when things. you started using photos. That was about that time. Yeah. But I couldn't find a theme. So um, I was at Cocoa Beach and I gave a seminar. Who knows? Maybe you were there. Maybe you were in a bar. No Who knows? You were probably in a bar. You didn't want to see my boring seminar. <laughs> yeah. And so I threw myself at the mercy of the crowd. I said, you know, I'm looking for Florida industrial. I'm getting nowhere. Does anybody have any ideas? And this guy, David Orr, who I don't know if you know, David from Coco came up to me, goes, yeah, I've just got the perfect thing. And then uh, he and his buddy used to work for CSX and ACL in Miami. And they pulled me aside. They outlined everything. I said, this is amazing. And David said, check your mailbox when you get home. And he sent me a one inch uh, thick, envelope of track charts wow and so um bill mccoy was the other one and uh they would sit down and they'd tell me these stories about what happened in miami and i'm like all right railroaders are known for telling tall tales none of this this is really embellished and i found out it was all true <laughs> like finding decap this is all like the miami mob stuff and they would oh, come yeah. into work and find a decapitated body in a gondola and it was just like totally captivating but with bill mccoy and david Orr just really launched me into that so i kept the moan on layout and made this east rail uh switching layout in the shop which is 10 by 10 it's probably the most... an industrial park right yep and that was probably the best layout i've ever built for myself in terms of being a fit for my lifestyle i remember seeing your your clinic on i think that layout and you were doing things like using photos for streets that you had shot from the roof of a parking garage. You know, oh, yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. And um, and using photos for whole sides of, uh, of buildings. Um, so you can see why I was thrilled when out of a clear blue sky, you offered to assist me with some of the photoshopping kind of things uh, for my little Pittston Yard office there that I was very ham-fistedly fumbling away on, you know. So <laughs> I do I do appreciate that. Thank, and, thank uh, God that interaction between the two of us figuring that out will never be uh, 
recorded. Like we were joking that if that was ever in a seminar, by the time you and I were done, the room would be empty. I think that would make for a, 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 a very entertaining presentation. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, some of the, you know, we've done clinics, a lot of clinics o- over the years, as, as, uh, as you know, and um, I did a clinic one time with uh, a fellow whose name escapes me right now, but this was at uh, Naperville. And uh, I think it was probably some kind of uh, live weathering clinic. And um, I can see the guy's face and I can't think of his name offhand. Uh, I hope he doesn't get offended that I can't remember it. But uh, he, so we had all of our stuff out there in a pretty big room full of people. And the first thing he did was get up there and take a Katie boxcar and he dashed it into pieces on the floor. Just, just rifled into the into the hard floor, smashed to bits, and said, "You can't be afraid to damage the things that you're trying to weather. No fear." <laughs> and I didn't know he was going to do it. I'm looking at him. I was I was just as jaw dropped as as every everybody else, you know. But it did uh, break the ice very quickly. That's and, a pretty good I, technique. I, and I think anybody who was at that particular clinic will always remember that at least. I've got a. Can I borrow that U18 of yours? <laughs> you know, I ended up selling that, believe it or not. Good for you. It went to a good home. Um, at the time, it did not fit my era. And um, in true irony, uh, I could, as, as the whole thing came full circle and I, and, I, and I modified my era, I wish I had it. And I ended up, uh, you know, with an intermountain <laughs> that I had to sort of, you know, tweak up to uh, to match my old uh, my old u18 such as it is as it is I, i've got one locomotive that i did um it's an sd40 m-2 that uh, mk had done for southern pacific and i based it on a particular one that was in the tehachapi helper pool and i had shot it out at uh, at bina in perfect light and it was filthy and I ended up uh, doing a, a pretty decent job with this locomotive to the point where I even had rotating uh, bearing caps on all of the axles, which wow. I had never seen done and have never seen done since. Uh, I'm not sorry I did it, wouldn't do it again, but it's, uh, it's obviously a loco from the future. And I'm just looking for the right home for that one too, you know, because it's too special just to kind of eBay it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I kind of want. No, I know to, what you mean. You want find you want somebody that is going to. It's not the money. You want to find somebody that's going to appreciate it, and not just put it in a box. And yeah, exactly, and just really enjoy it and think, wow, how cool is it having these rotating bearing caps? <laughs> I'll have to take a good video of it or something. Um, so getting back to your question on the layouts, I, I have one layout in the basement now that's like roughly twenty by twenty, and that's um, see it, the downtown spur in Miami, and then I have two small ones which in the den which are part they're like operational dioramas they're not very big but i enjoy one is los angeles junction and one is a oh yeah uh, brooklyn waterfront but the, the one in the basement is the main layout and the other one i just kind of enjoy looking at as i walk by them i spent some happy times rail fanning the uh, the laj uh it's just a cool little railroad oh yeah. do you have pictures Oh, I do. I have lots of pictures, actually. I, I, I can I can uh, I can try to corral those for you. I can remember having having the run of the port out there on, on a Sunday. This is, a, I think, pre 9-11, obviously. And uh, and just it was like shooting fish in a basket out there. I mean, it was just uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it was just a very cool PHL, too. You know, I was doing that out there. Um, 
I mean, we I think we've both done a lot of rail fanning. I, I, I did a lot during the 90s. Uh, those were kind of the, uh, the divorce years and I was out of the house a lot. Um, and I, I think that um, when Conrail ended uh, in 98, it, it kind of took the, the wind out of my sails for a little bit because I think I had had, um, I had, had aspersions to kind of keep, keep current with Conrail. And um, I, when you instantly become a period railroader, you kind of look at it and go, well, gee, I don't have that need to, to, to have the moving target thing going on. Where do I really want to be? Oh, I know and what you mean. Yeah. It, it, at first, I tried to I tried to settle on the on the early '90s when Conrail really had it all together, and it wasn't all wide nosed. You know, they still had a you know fairly interesting uh, locomotive roster. Uh, but I, I zeroed in on 1984 for a variety of reasons, not the least of which that on the area that I model, that was kind of a a peak time for them. And it was the ability to include a lot of uh, Guilford stuff before it became all Guilford. So, you know, I'm running DNH trains with with BNM and Main Central U25Bs on the train with with uh, GP39-2s and and uh, lots of Alcos, you know, which I, I couldn't run at all in in Conrail. So, having the layout have an interchange and a lot of interaction between uh, DNH and Conrail, I kind of get my cake and eat it too, you know? So um, because of all of that, and kind of because of just the general trend in, in railroads anyway, um, I, I've kind of lost my my uh, my rail fanning urge, you know? Um, not a well, big, not a big graffiti a... fan, not, not, a, not a fan of, you know, all the locos pretty much looking the same and not a fan of, um, you know, you've seen one stack train, you've seen them all. At least that's how I look at it. Give me a good manifest any day, you know. So um, I know I'm sounding like a, an old steam guy probably to, to, to some uh, listeners at this point, but that's just how it hit me, you know. But boy, did I do a lot of real fanning. And you still do, right? No, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you, Mike, except, you know, I don't, you know, I kind of, the graffiti is interesting to me, but I think from my perspective, it's not as easy. You know, I live in Washington, D.C., and there's no industry at all here. Sure. It's all, you know, trains pass through town and it's primarily passenger. So I think I would do more rail fanning, um, you know, if I could just grab my camera in 20 minutes, you know, be able to watch it. When I go to Miami, I mean, it's just like I've died and gone to heaven i mean it's just crazy down there well we're um, talking about how much we liked bouncing around uh in uh, la too yeah so if it was i think i would that's on my reminder to myself to try to get up to baltimore which is only 45 minutes away and do a little more rail fan. it's not that i haven't i still have the urge but it's not as easy to do and i've been lazy so i would like to do um more of it I would think you'd have to pick your time of day for that very carefully because you have a serious traffic issue there, don't you? Yeah, um, <laughs> but I, I work from home. You do, you do not want to be on the roads from two until six. Right, that's a pretty long rush hour. But you know what, Boston's no different. Yeah, but there's nothing really. Um, Boston's going three to seven, I would say. 
CSX is interesting. In some areas, they've kept all the industrial stuff, and in others, they've totally jettisoned it. So they've cut back a small amount in Miami. It's not like before, but there's enough there to you know, really wow you. But up in the D.C. metro area, I mean, they just they come down from the north and they loop around and they head up to Baltimore and you just watch them go by. There's no switching at all in this metro did you, area. Did you ever get a chance to check out Bone Valley in Florida? I know of it. The answer is no. I've only, the only place I've rail fanned in, is on the um, eastern coast and primarily in Miami. I don't know if you remember Justin May. He used to go to the Cocoa Beach a lot. Um, Sounds familiar. Yeah, he was he was a youngish, real real nice guy. I mean, he's uh, he I, I haven't spoken with him in ages, but back back in the day, I guess he was probably a recent college graduate or something. But um, he was kind enough to to take me all over Bone Valley, which it's probably good to have a guide when you do that because it really is in the middle of nowhere, and it's just these phosphate mines all over the place and honeycombed trackage and very, very unique and, and interesting uh, freight cars. And um, yeah, back in the day, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I got to do that. You know, there's nothing else like it. Um, I can also remember going to Plaster City. You ever hear of that? I have not heard of it's, that. It's, it's out, out west and it's like on the, on the US-Mexican border. And um, it's a place where they mine uh, gypsum and make uh, and, and, and produce the materials that are used in the creation of sheetrock. And they had their own little narrow gauge operation there. And then another little short line that kind of serviced the place. And these are just things that I just kind of stumbled upon and thought, wow, you know, if I was looking for something to model, this would be cool. Although I'd go through a lot of whitish weathering, that's for sure. Another cool area, is, and there was a good article about it in Trains, is Brooklyn, because that is exactly the oh, way, absolutely. It, way it was back in the day. And here's a, a funny rail spanning story is, uh, you know, you always want to be respectful, but what we can get away with now, we cannot get away with now what we could in the past because of these things called cameras. Right. And so I was in Brooklyn, I was, there was a, really cool yard and they were just switching it like crazy so i'm down there trying to get pictures and getting closer and closer i shouldn't have been <laughs> and uh but i wanted to be respectful to the guys and not disrupt them and so one of the uh ground crew came by me i said you know i don't want to cause you any problems am i okay here he goes i don't care but i'm listening to the radio and you've shown up on every camera and there are three cars coming for you as we speak whoa and so i'm thinking Thanks for the heads up. I was gone. I was wow. on the interstate back to Washington. So they have. Yeah, they're not messing around anymore in New York. And, but, and yeah. uh, I can, I remember one time uh, if you want to, if you want to have uh, encounter stories, I've got, I've got my share of them, but I was, um, I had, I had traveled to Cincinnati one time for, uh, for business, but then I, I took a few extra days and was doing some rail fanning around there. And it's a, it's a very cool uh, area to rail fan, uh, Queensgate Yard, and I went up to Sharonville while I was there, and you know, really was having a ball. And at one point, I had seen a photo in Rail Pace, I think, of a train coming down off the bridge and coming into Covington, Kentucky. So um, one day, I, I, you know, crossed the river and found like this uh, interesting-looking uh, junction with a with a crossing, and I was just just hanging out there. And the next thing I know. Uh, a Covington uh, police car comes uh, comes uh, up from behind and 
he gets out and starts talking to me, you know, and then at one point uh, he steps back and he starts talking to his shoulder, you know, the microphone. And um, I figured something else was going on. But the next thing I know, here comes another Covington uh, patrol car barreling down the road, kicking up a huge cloud of dust. Well, if they knew the way, if they knew you the way that I do, I mean, I can't blame them, Mike. Well, I thought, well, they finally caught <laughs> up to me. You know, they it was it turns out there was there's there was another Mike Rose that uh, was a wanted man, but fortunately he was six foot two eyes of blue, which is not me, you know. <laughs> uh, but the whole time they were determining that I wasn't that guy. The guy I was talking to sort of made chit chat with me and the other guy stood there with his mirror shades and his arms folded just glaring at me and I thought this is what they're talking about <laughs> I've heard about this and here it is funny well anyway I know you've got a hard stop Lance so I appreciate you uh no I can go I mean I can go as long as I can go till late 30 it's up to you um well you got anything else to say <laughs> I, I just don't. Uh, I'm just going with the going with the flow. We'll we'll save it for the next uh, for the next time because I think it would be interesting maybe to at some point talk about your next gig and and maybe some more specifics about the techniques employed and the challenges and any any anecdotes from that. We'll we'll have to do this again. Yep, it's a lot of fun and uh, keep me posted on the photo thing. I may drop you a note on that, um, next week on that. Los Angeles Junction stuff. I, you should not have told me you had all that. Well, no, it's, all, it's just a matter of, uh, of of digging it out. You're you're certainly welcome to it. Uh, it was a cool a cool little railroad, and I I'm, I'm sure I spent more than one day uh, chasing it around. Um, more importantly, the stuff that you taught me yesterday, um, multiple program photo manipulation wise, I'm not going to wait a month to uh, mess around with that because it's definitely use it or lose it. And when we had the call yesterday, I was in a, like a mild state of panic at the beginning of the call because I'm thinking, I have to relearn where the heck I was with this. I have to find all these files. I have to, I can't look like I'm starting from scratch when I get Lance on the phone. So the eight minutes before our call, where it was, where time was a time of very frenzied activity. <laughs> well, you are right. It's kind of, it is a use it or lose it. And a lot of that stuff I learned is just by pushing buttons. I mean, you, reading the books will help, but you just need to do what we've been doing and just dive into it. And, you know, the nice thing about digital is, you know, you always just back up the file and you can experiment. You do it frequently too. And that's the thing. Um, I, I don't know how often I will be doing this, but uh, there may be other opportunities to do it as I get to the final areas of my layout. So I'm hoping I can hang on to whatever portion of the skill set I've been able to, to, to glean here. Um, I did want to ask you, so the name of your company is specifically what? The Shelf Layouts Company. The Shelf Layouts Company. So anybody can Google that. And um, I, your website is shelflayoutscompany.com, something like that? Um, just shelflayouts.com. Shelflayouts.com. I imagine you have all kinds of interesting photos there. I sure do. So I would encourage anybody that um, uh, even just likes looking at well-done model railroading, Go to Lance's website, and if you've got some money to spend and no time to build a layout yourself, you wouldn't have a better choice than Lance. All right. Thanks a lot, buddy. All right, Lance. Have yourself a good night, folks. We'll talk to you on the next show. All right. Talk to you later.